What's going on, everybody? We're doing all right on this Wednesday night? Longest day of the year, summer solstice. I like how we have this adequate area for a soak zone right here. You don't want to get spit on, so everyone made sure they're sitting in the back. Wonderful. Grateful that you're here tonight. We doing okay? Let's give it up for Foss and the worship tonight. And Stan bringing the communion tonight. You know, summer's a busy time of year. It's busy with a lot of crazy stuff going on. We've got some people who are going to be heading to Slovakia and Mexico and all over the world, not just on vacation, but on missions trips, serving God and serving people. Last couple of years, I've had the privilege of being a part of the Slovakia missions trip. And last year, in particular, after the missions trip, my wife and I and a couple of our friends, we went to visit one of my best friends in Croatia. He lives on an island in Croatia. Like, this is just the view. It's an incredible place. But after eating our fill of squid and prosciutto right off the leg of the pig, and after swimming our hearts out all day, every day, we decided to go spelunking. You know what that means, right? Like cave diving. And now when you think about spelunking, at least maybe in America or in various places throughout the world, you think about maybe having like a, an expert guide leading your way. You have the proper gear, the equipment for climbing, you know, a harness and lots of ropes and carabiners, helmets with lamps on them, all these necessary items. We had a rope, a rope, and I remember I was wearing just shorts, shorts and shoes, and uh, I also had along with me my wife, who happens to be terrified of tight places and heights, and I asked her, I'm like, Tara, are you sure you want to go through with this? And she said, yeah, yeah, totally. So it began with a... 300-foot descent into the earth, and it was a steep slope, and it was full of slippery rocks, tiny boulders that would become dislodged and then roll down this slope, so it got a bit sketchy when you were down below and there were people in our group still up above. It was absolutely terrifying. But we descended further and further, deeper and deeper into the earth, and I was so proud of her. Like, this was one of the sections that we had to kind of crawl through, but we came to, after maybe a couple of hours of, you know, descending into the earth, we come to a junction, an impasse. There's this big old rock stone wall. We're like, well, we can't get through here. Oh, yes, you can, because there's a tiny little space Barely large enough for you to crawl through and breathe at the same time. And you know what she did? She just jumped down there and started crawling through. But as we began to crawl through this section, we saw that it was maybe like 25 feet. And in the process of doing this, one of our friends was in front of Tara. I was behind Tara. He had to slow down. And so here we are stuck 
hundreds of feet down in the earth in this tiny little section crawling through, hard-pressed on every side. And me, not being afraid of tight spaces or heights or anything like that, I had to struggle to keep my mind right, not think about all the possibilities of things that could go wrong. I just had to think of open spaces, open spaces, open spaces, and also try to help Tara, who is, in fact, afraid of tight spaces, to help her keep her mind straight, open spaces. And I remember just shouting stuff forward, like, you're okay, we're going to get through this. And we finally did. And then opened up to like two or three stories full of stalagmites and stalactites. It was absolutely breathtaking, incredible. None of the pictures turned out because it was dark and we had these cheap little flashlights, but it was incredible. And I remember saying like, I'm so proud of you. You did such a good job Now it's time to go back, and we have to crawl through the same section where we're going to be hard-pressed on every side. You know, how do you encourage people who are hard-pressed on every side when you yourself happen to be hard-pressed on every side? I think you do it through loyalty. I think it has everything to do with loyalty, and loyalty doesn't just mean showing up. You know, a single father isn't loyal just because he shows up every other weekend to spend time with his kids. No, a single father is loyal because he's involved and invested in the lives of his children. An ER nurse is not loyal simply because she shows up in the hospital room. She's a loyal employee because she goes and cleans out bedpans and changes IVs and and engages with the patient and shows love and care and concern to not only the patient, but to their family. But you know what? Loyalty goes even beyond that. It's more loyalty is about having encouragingly tough talks and walks. If you are a loyal person and loyal to your friends, your family, the people in your lives, you're going to have the boldness to conduct encouragingly tough talks and walks. It's about encouraging people, asking tough questions, and walking, or sometimes even inching through the situation with them. It's what the Apostle Paul does with the Corinthian believers, and I think it's what God also wants to do in our lives and in our community to encourage loyalty and honest conversation. So if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we read from our text tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. It says, When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. God, we come before you tonight, and our hearts are open, our minds are open, as we continue with this verse-by-verse study through 2 Corinthians. I pray you would teach us tonight what it means to be people who are loyal to you and loyal to those around us. We thank you for this opportunity to be shapen and transformed. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So 
So here, Paul, in verse 5, recounts his trying experience in Macedonia. And as we can see on the map, Macedonia is located north of Greece. It's a Roman province, as you can see up here, uh, to the west of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, Galatia, to the northwest of Jerusalem and Israel and Palestine. But he speaks here of being hard-pressed on every side. There's a war that is waging on the outside and on the in. This probably refers to external persecution that was brought about by the Roman Empire or just people who wanted to persecute Christians. And there's also internal fights and conflict within the church. Everybody's on pins and needles, unable to relax because they don't know what's going to happen, how things will turn out. Verse 6 says, But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Titus is a book in the Bible, but it also happens to be a Greek Christian, one of Paul's most intimate friends, a travel companion of Paul, and a fellow faithful Christian worker. His presence and the message that he carried here to Paul, it brought great encouragement. And I have to tell you, I love how God works through people to deliver encouragement It wasn't just a person who was being really nice, but it was actually God speaking through that person to me. And it affected me in a deep way. And this is what happens when we have a church community that is loving and encouraging. God speaks all the time. I learned in a psychology class at Cal Lutheran that uh, people who are involved in religious organizations like a church, they actually statistically live longer than those who are not. And now the people who are compiling and gathering all these statistics, they always make sure to say, well, it has nothing to do with faith. It has nothing to do with faith. It has everything to do with community and sociological interaction. You know what, I think that the people who are involved in church, not just attendees, but people who are involved in church, they outlive those who are not for multiple reasons. Sure, maybe the number of years you live is greater in quantity, but I also think you outlive people by the way that you live in terms of quality, hopefully. It's not often that I hear people say, my life got so much worse when I got involved in church. Actually, I've never heard anybody say that before. My life got worse when I started going to church. When I got really involved and when I developed a relationship with God, my life just got so much worse. The encouragement that we receive in a place like this can easily override the discouragement that is thrown our way. So, What I want to do right now is encourage each other. This is what we do at every Tuesday staff meeting here. The staff at Journey of the Church, we gather together. We have our staff meeting. And at the end of every staff meeting, we have an encouragement time. And so what I want you to do, this is our table talk to start. Have one person start by encouraging another person 
at your table. Then that encouraged person who had received the encouragement encourages another person at the table until it goes full circle back to the first encourager. And I want you to think about people maybe, uh, think about specific things. Yeah, get up and, and find a table with some more people if you need, but go ahead and get started. Ready, go. Now, if you don't know the people at your table, just make something up or something that you can think of real quick. All right, we're going to give it about 30 seconds left.
let's wrap it up, finish the, the thought. Hopefully everyone got encouraged at your table. Sometimes this is really challenging to do. Sometimes it's hard to give encouragement. Other times it's kind of awkward to receive encouragement as well. Uh, I know we just had Father's Day weekend, and I heard that at my, uh, my grandfather's Father's Day, we, had, uh, we weren't able to make it there. But I guess my grandmother had like this whole speech prepared for my grandfather, and he's like the rough exterior type. I mean, he used to climb power line poles for Edison, and I've told you guys, he'd bring home like rattlesnakes in his lunchbox for the kids to play with and stuff. And she prepared this whole speech for him, and it, it just brought him to tears. And that's what happens sometimes with encouragement. And I think we need to do more of that. And uh, it's hard to receive sometimes. It's hard to give sometimes. But it's so critical. Well, this is what it says as Paul continues about this encouragement. It says in verse 7, His, that is Titus's presence, was a joy. But so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. So it was Double joy. When he told us how much you Corinthians long to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. Now, this is shocking. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you would be confused because the wild and rambunctious Corinthians, the what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth Christians, they have here had a major change of heart when it came to both their attitude and their actions. But what brought about this attitude adjustment and this action alteration? Well, it was Paul's severe, tear-sealed letter. Paul mentioned this letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It's the letter that he wrote to them after he left Corinth. Unfortunately, we don't have this letter, but as he says in 2 Corinthians 2, 3 through 4, this was about his recent painful visit with the Corinthians. He goes on to say in verse 8, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first. So he's saying, sorry, not sorry. For I know it was painful to you for a little while. Have you ever had to say something to somebody and you know it's going to hurt? You know it's going to hurt and you would have rather just not say it at all, but you know deep down like you have to say it for their good, for your good, or for just good in general. I remember I was in seventh grade and I was at the Ventura County Courthouse and I had to get some stuff off of my chest. I had to go in and speak to a mediator. There was a lot of strife going on between my divorced parents. And I had to go and share some things that were really tough to share. I remember sitting there in the chair and I remember clenching my hands on this hard black plastic handle. And I opened my mouth and the words just flowed out. I'll tell you, it's honestly the first time I've felt the Holy Spirit speak through me. All I did was open my mouth, and it was like roaring, rushing rapids. 
pouring forth, rivers just spilling out with words. And they were hard words, hard things to say, things that I felt maybe bad about saying, but they were true. And after saying all of these things, I felt absolutely exhausted, and I felt a little sad, too. I felt a little sorrowful, but I knew that these words that I had just spoken by the power of the Holy Spirit, they were words that were going to bring about change. As it is with Paul in his letter that is penned to the Corinthians here, he's saying, I know I distressed you greatly with my letter. And although I felt awful at the time, I I just don't feel bad about it now that I know how it turned out. The letter upset you, but only for a little while. Verse 9a says, now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you. That would be creepy if Paul said, yeah. I'm taking pleasure in your pain, but he says, because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. He's saying you were jarred into turning things around. The pain caused you to repent. That means to do a 180. You're going this way. It's the path of darkness and destruction, and you turn 180 degrees and go in the exact opposite direction. That's what it means to repent. The Hebrew word is shuv in the Old Testament, and it really means to turn, to repent, to turn 180 degrees. And they let this distress that they experience bring them back to God, not drive them further from God. And so the result was all gain and no loss. Verse 9b continues, it was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you are not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. The distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around and gets us back in the way of salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. So godly sorrow is actually a good thing. And the way that it produces a conviction inside of us, it, it, it changes our heart to make attitude adjustments and action alterations. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, it results in spiritual death. So those who let distress drive them further away from God are full of regrets, and they end up on a deathbed of regrets. I think about Paul's severe, tear-sealed letter, and I realize it takes a lot of nerve to send a letter like that. It takes a lot of nerve to deliver tough news and ask tough questions. It takes a lot of nerve to be loyal. And loyalty is about having encouragingly tough talks and walks. It's about encouraging people, asking tough questions, and walking through the situation with them. So let's do some more table talk tonight. What does loyalty mean to you personally? You can answer any of the following. You don't have to go in any particular order. But how loyal are you? And then I threw this one in there because it kind of sounds like a Lord of the Rings question. Where does your loyalty lie? And where could you improve your loyalty? Ready, go.
All right, let's finish the thought here. I'm getting the thumbs up from a lot of groups. They're saying they're loyal. They're ready to move on here. Well, in this passage here, Paul has just walked through some of the tough stuff. He's recapping all the change that he's hearing is taking place, and he's stoked. And so what he naturally does is proceed to lay the encouragement on thick. Because, of course, we could or we should encourage loyalty, and we should also commend it. Verse 11 says, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation. That could mean like anger or frustration at the offender who is causing a bunch of trouble in Corinth. Such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things Right. Now, this does not sound like the wild and rambunctious Corinthians. The what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth Christians we're used to hearing about. No, the sorrow and distress has actually moved them closer to God. Just as Renee said on Sunday morning, I don't know if you guys were at second service or if you were at first service. If you were at first service and you didn't stick around for the baptism during second service, you definitely missed out. Because one of my friends, his name is Renee, and he's always at second service. He sits in the back. He's in a wheelchair. He came up, and he was getting baptized. And John Urengo lifts him out of his wheelchair and just drops him in the baptismal. And it was this powerful moment where Jeff asked him, like, is there anything that you want to say? Like, why do you want to be baptized? And he said, every scar has led me to this place. Every scar has led me to this place. And man, I mean, everybody was like crying when they were seeing this happen because it was a powerful, powerful moment, and the Holy Spirit was so thick in this place. And Paul is saying something very similar, that as a result of the sorrow and the distress and the scars, you Corinthians are now more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible, and you've come out of this with purity of heart. Now, I'm not trying to say that Bad stuff is going to make you better. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that these Corinthians, just like Renee, have allowed the things that have happened in their lives bring them closer to God as a result, even though they may have been absolutely horrible and despicable, and that God was not the author of those horrible things that may have happened. But that these things, they allowed God to bring them closer to God to his heart. Verse 12 continues, says, My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. So Paul's primary concern for writing that letter that we see referenced in 2 Corinthians 2, 3 through 4, this severe tear-sealed letter, it was to show the Corinthians just how loyal they are or could potentially be. If you think about it, it was actually risky on Paul's 
part. He was banking on the idea that the Corinthian believers would realize and act upon this deep, deep ties between themselves and Paul before God. And that's exactly what happened. You know, when you think about it, it's actually what Paul is saying here, extremely backwardly humble. I mean, I would have been like, I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal I am to you. But what does he say here? I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. It seems extremely backwardly humble. Verse 13b says, In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. I had told him how proud I was of you, and you didn't disappoint me. I have always told the truth, and now my boasting to Titus has also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with such fear and deep respect. I'm very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. So your loyalty, Corinthians, is marked, it's noted. And in tight spaces, when we are hard-pressed on every side, what better action could you offer than to be loyal? Graduation season is upon us right now and almost over. Praise the Lord, right? Unless you really like sitting out in the baking hot sun, sizzling like bacon, listening to... You can do anything you set your heart to after you pay off your student loans speeches. But you know, if it's you graduating, you're probably experiencing the flood of cards and congratulations. And if you're a Christian, roughly 88% of those cards have the same two verses. Proverbs 3. Five through six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, various translations say it differently, but this is like one of the most common hallmark Bible verses. I challenge you go to like Rite Aid, go to Vaughn's, whatever, and go to like the section that has religious cards. I bet you at least 50% of the cards have Proverbs 3. Five and six. But if we ignore what comes before Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, we're actually missing out on an essential component of how actually to trust the Lord. It's a verse that comes before about loyalty. Proverbs 3, 3. It says, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you, Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Now this word, never let loyalty, loyalty in Hebrew, uh, here in this particular verse is chesed. Everybody say that, it's a fun word to say, chesed. You definitely have to get a lot of spit in your mouth because it's the letter chet. So say it one more time, chesed. 
chesed. I, I've talked about it before, but it's like the love of a mother, a mother whose son, let's say, is on death row, and he's never getting out. He's committed a heinous crime, but you know what? It doesn't stop her from every Saturday morning. She wakes up early, and she boards a bus, and she travels for three hours just to visit her son who's incarcerated. He's on death row. He's not getting out. She visits with him for 30 minutes, and she does this every Saturday, and then she gets back on the bus and takes a three-hour trip home, and she does this every single Saturday. That is chesed. That is steadfast love. That is loyalty. That's what God shows to us, and that's what we are to show to God and show to one another. Chesed, loyalty. But you know, I think about this and I think about how does this apply to my life? I can hear a message, I can read some scripture, but it means nothing if it doesn't penetrate into my heart and if it doesn't penetrate into my mind and into my actions and into my worldview. So I need to ask myself, how am I being a loyal friend? How am I being a loyal husband? How am I being a loyal son? How am I being loyal? But then I also need to ask, how am I being a loyal follower of Jesus? And now these two are, of course, interconnected. You can't be a loyal follower of Jesus if you aren't a loyal husband. You can't be a loyal follower of Jesus if you aren't a loyal son. You might be a loyal son but you know what? You could be a, an even more loyal son if you were a loyal follower of Jesus. I'm just going to go back and forth between all of them and just confuse everybody. So I'll just stop now and just say, let's just be faithful and be loyal to one another and to God. Now, the last thing I want you to consider is, like, maybe how? How am I being loyal to these people right here? We talked about it before. You guys are like the cream of the crop, the Wednesday night, the people who are faithful and loyal. But maybe consider more ways that you could be involved. Because it's not just about being an attendee. But being involved maybe means serving in kids' ministry, maybe serving in setup or teardown. It may have nothing to do with what goes on on Sunday and Wednesday. Maybe it's just out there in the community inviting people to church. Maybe it's just taking care of your neighbors, loving the people around you, in those ways you are involved in the church because you're involved in the mission of the church, loving the world one person at a time. So let's continue to be loyal. Amen? Let's pray.